Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. To the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at the Yoga Hour at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Good morning and welcome to the Yoga Hour, a time to open our hearts and minds to the infinite. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien while she's away. Today I'll be sharing some insights and time-tested practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga. Yoga is a Sanskrit word that means oneness, union, or unity, the bringing together of our attention and awareness with our essential spiritual nature, to be restored to our original wholeness. Many people associate the term yoga with exercise. Kriya Yoga is a wider system including philosophy and practice for spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. As a medical doctor and longtime practitioner of Kriya Yoga, I have found it to be a comprehensive system for enhanced well-being on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. Today our topic is Karma Yoga, Serving the One in All. And I'm joined today by Yoga Teacher, yoga teacher and karma yogini Halakuri, who was nominated earlier this year by Yoga Journal for a Good Karma Award. Halakuri is an M-A-N-E-R-Y-T, meaning a um, yoga therapist, and has been teaching the movement arts for over 20 years. She wrote her thesis on using yoga and other complementary disciplines, such as eco-psychology and somatics, for self-empowerment to inspire a global shift towards peaceful and sustainable living. Hala is one of the creators of the organization Off the Mat into the World, a nonprofit organization dedicated to utilizing the tools of yoga and somatic practices within a justice framework to inspire people to be conscious leaders of change. Through the nonprofit A Thousand Joys, Hala works with social workers and direct service providers, educating them on the effects of vicarious trauma and offering them somatic tools to discharge and manage stress and create a culture of wellness. Welcome, Hala Khoury. I'm delighted that you could join us today on the Yoga Hour. 
Oh, I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So before we begin to enter into our dialogue about karma yoga, serving the one in all, let's begin with a moment of meditation. Om. Let's bring our attention to this moment, which is unlike any other, this precious moment of now. Let's be here, right where we are. Let's become aware of our breath. Noticing its natural flow. Not trying to change it, just noticing as we inhale and exhale. Cool air entering the nostrils and warm air flowing out. In this moment, let's open our hearts and our minds to the divine. One reality, called by many names, is the support and substance of all that is. Right where we are, right now, this divine essence is present as you, as me, as everyone. Within us, between us, and all around us. Just by being present now and noticing, we can rest in this essence of our being. We notice thoughts and feelings as they arise and as they pass away. We become aware of our essential nature beyond words and thoughts beyond all change, beyond thought and sensation, pure existence being. We feel the peace that emanates from the essence of our being. We allow it to pervade the mental field, the emotional nature, and the physical body. Resting, resting in peace. We abide in this peace and let it overflow as blessing for all beings everywhere. Mahala, once again, welcome to the Yoga Hour. And I do want to begin by congratulating you on being chosen as a Seva Award winner by Yoga Journal earlier this year. Thank you so much. So uh, Swami Sri Yukteswar cautioned students that self-realization is not selfish realization. Selfless service has long been a part of the yoga tradition as Karma Yoga, one of the four paths of yoga. This rests on the central tenet of yoga that there is only one supreme consciousness manifesting as all that is, and that by serving others, we are really serving the one in all. 
So let's start with the terms karma yoga and seva. What do they mean to you? Well, I think that this idea of selfless service is a really great idea, and I actually think that there's no such thing. Just like this idea that we're all connected, when we are making sure to uplift those who are in pain or don't have access to resources or are being treated unjustly, we actually are uplifting ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that this that the idea that we're not free until everybody is free feels really true in my heart. And so when we, quote, unquote, serve others, we're not actually serving them. We're actually serving the collective, like you said. So as yogis, we speak about consciousness. We speak about unity. And if there are still people out there in the world that are not having access to what they need, that are being treated unjustly, then we can't be free. So the service is really about acknowledging the web of life and the ways that we're all connected and uplifting all of humanity and all of the world together. And so karma yoga and seva, to me, really are ways that we acknowledge the ways we're connected by holding others in our heart, holding other people's experience in our heart and what they need in our heart and doing our best to serve if we have the privilege, right? Some of us have a, have a lot of privilege. I consider myself extremely privileged. I've had access to education. I have had access to clean water, to food, to clean air. And I feel that I need to use my privilege to look at people who have not had the same kind of access. How can I make sure that they have the same access that I did, that we uplift everybody? So I think about mm-hmm. karma yoga and seva as the most important part of being awake, uh, which means that we're seeing all that's happening in the world. And even though there's so much beauty in the world, there's also a lot of pain and injustice. And we can use our practice to be able to bear witness onto all of that pain and injustice without being overwhelmed, without needing to run away from it. Because we come back to our mat, we come back to our tools that we can be in the world and be honest about what's happening in the world rather than disconnect. Mm. Oh, it's really lovely. So what was your journey like? How did you first become involved with service, and what inspired you to do the work that you do? Mm-hmm. You know, I was always in, in, interested in doing some sort of service, and even in, in high school I always volunteered. Um, wanted to, I worked with foster kids. Um, when I moved to Los Angeles, I immediately wanted to take a job working with homeless youth um, I remember my partner at the time would not let me take the job because it meant that I had, to, I had to go out in the middle of the night and try to talk to these youth about going into the shelters and, and, and getting services. My whole life I've been drawn to service, and I think only later on in life did I understand why. And I, I believe that our service comes from our own life experience. It often comes from our own traumas and our own wounds, and it's our pain and our trauma that often connects us to the pain of others and motivates us to want to help. I'm originally from Beirut, Lebanon, and we left when I was three years old because of the war. And Mm. my father had an opportunity to get work in America, um, and so we were able to leave. We were able to leave the bombings and the guns and all of that fear and pain. And even though I was really young, that life experience was formative for me. And also growing up in America from a different culture and 
for a lot of my adolescence and youth, not feeling like I belonged, feeling like an outsider, I think that that connected me to other people who might feel like they don't belong or other people that feel that they're not part of the larger group. And, of course, coming from a place that, to this day, is still affected by war and violence and separation and people fighting because of their differences, it has always been inside of me to want to help people heal their traumas so that they're not trying to hurt each other because of how much pain they're in. Um, So I always say that my roots coming from a place of war, my formative experiences of just being different, have connected me to other groups of people that might feel similarly and have motivated me to want to do what I can to contribute to healing the separation that causes so much pain in other people. Mm. And it's been something I've been motivated and moved to do my whole life. I, I don't know how I would be able to be happy if I didn't feel that I was using my my privilege and my talent and my knowledge to serve the greater good. Life would just be meaningless without that. Mm. So you've already touched on this a little bit, you know, your your work, um, which I believe is the focus of your work is um, social justice. So what's the connection really between yoga and social justice? Mm-hmm. So yoga says that we are all one, right? Yoga is about unity, and I think a lot of yogis, say that. We say namaste at the end of our practice. We pay lip service to this idea that we are one. Um, Social justice is a term that refers to a desire that all groups of people have equal access to their basic needs and to dignity and respect. And the connection between the two is this idea that if we are all one, then I am as deeply connected to the person that that looks like me or speaks like me as I am to the person that comes from a completely different culture and background and might have a different life experience. And it should matter to me the well-being of people that might not have that access. So if we look at America where entire groups of people are marginalized and oppressed based on their skin color, their class, their socioeconomic background, their gender, their gender identity. I need to look at that, and I need to see where, how, how can I contribute to shifting this separation? Yoga is about healing separation, and it starts with the separation inside ourselves. If there's parts of me that I don't want to feel, parts of me that I don't want to acknowledge, I'm going to be disconnected from myself. I'm going to be running away from myself. That's really the root of most addictions, right, is running away from our feelings and from our sensations. And then when I look out into larger society, I see things like mass incarceration of people of color, um, the school-to-prison pipeline, um, rights for LGBTQ communities. There are entire communities of people that are being shunned, that are being separated, that are being harmed. And as a yogi, I believe it's my duty to acknowledge that and to understand that until everyone is included, until everyone is free, I can't be free. I can't isolate on my yoga mat or my meditation cushion because I don't want to acknowledge the suffering around me. And I know that for years I did that. I actually used my yoga to not have to feel the pain around me. I didn't want to 
listen to the news. I didn't want to acknowledge it was happening politically. I just did my asana practice and my meditation made it all about me and my own personal healing. Yet my personal healing is deeply connected to the healing of everybody else. And the work of stepping out and addressing um, environmental destruction and global injustice is really important. Yet that work is very overwhelming. So this is where the connection to yoga comes in. A lot of social justice workers that don't have a spiritual practice or a physical practice can burn out. The work is difficult. It's painful. It's hard. Change happens slowly. And it can make us um, bitter. It can make us angry. It can make us apathetic. So if I have a place to come back to where I can connect and remember why I'm doing this and feel my own wholeness, I can go back and address these huge issues without burning out. So the two support each other. The social justice work is a support of this idea of unity and oneness. The yoga practice supports us as we go out and confront these large issues that aren't going to change overnight. Oh, that was just, you said so many things that were just so beautiful there. Um, and I think you even touched on a bit of my next question, but, um, you know, with the motivation that you've been talking about of, you know, that um, really trying to um, take the unity that is the, the taproot of yoga and really, you know, bring that to, into manifestation in the world for, for everyone. But I know that you uh, co-founded the organization Off the Mat into the World, and I did want to ask a little about that. We probably have about a minute or two before the mm-hmm. break. Um, so can you just tell us briefly, you know, how the organization came about? Sure. Um, Off the Mat um, came about about nine years ago, um, and originally a nonprofit named the, called the Engage Network came to Sean Korn, and talked to Sean about taking her spiritual activism workshops and supporting people that finished those workshops to do to get into small groups together so they could do community engagement together. Um, Engage, uh, the women who started Engage were organizers, and they were looking at movement building and how do we connect people so that um, we can build movements, we can build uh, communities of people with similar values who can then make a change via their voting power or fundraising, whatever they're going to do. And they found that the yoga community would be a very ripe community to begin with. So they came to Sean, and Sean came to me, um, and then I went to Suzanne Sterling, and we developed a, a small a curriculum for small circles called Yoga in Action. And the curriculum was meant to take small groups of people of 12 or less through a transformative practice together. And the idea is that if you took a small group of people and they go through an experience together, they're very likely to stay together and to continue to do this work together of yoga and practice and community engagement. So it started really with a small circle idea. We have hundreds of small circles, thousands of small circles around the country who then can connect with each other around yogic values of unity and progressive political values. So that was really the roots of what Off the Mat was. And then it grew into our Save a Challenge and our, week, and our week-long intensives and all the other programs that we have now. But really it started with this small circle community engagement idea. Well, thank you so much for that background. And I, I know we'll have a chance to come back to uh, Off the Mat later in the program. Um, we're going to move to the break now. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with guest Hala Khoury, yoga teacher, somatic counselor, and one of the founders of Off the Mat Into the World. 
Paula inspires people to become conscious leaders of change and to become involved with social justice work. You can learn more about her and her teaching schedule at the website halakuri.com, which is H-A-L-A-K-H-O-U-R-I.com. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien. When we come back from the break, we'll explore yoga and healing for all. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. Do you experience the peace and joy promised by A Course in Miracles? Or are you still struggling to truly live your beliefs from moment to moment? Let Rev. Jennifer Hadley help you focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace, through practical application, by walking your talk. Experience the healing live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central on A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Spirit of Recovery is the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth. Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., interviews down-to-earth guests who share with you how they keep going and growing in recovery. Spirit of Recovery is the place to get practical tips and join in lively discussions on topics that matter to recovering people. This program welcomes everyone who wants to know more about recovery. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. You're listening to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to The Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for the Yoga Hour's regular host, Yogacharya O'Brien. I'm joined today by Hala Kuri, who is a yoga teacher, yoga teacher trainer, and somatic counselor, and who was nominated earlier this year by Yoga Journal for a Good Karma Award. Her website is halakuri.com, that's H-A-L-A-K-H-O-U-R-I.com. In this segment, we're going to be discussing yoga and healing for all. So, Hala, in Eastern philosophy in general, I think there's a recognition that change in the outer world really begins with change within ourselves. Mm-hmm. And you have certainly stressed, you know, the importance of self-healing in your work. So why is it important that we heal ourselves in order to heal the world? That's a great question. Well, I can look at my own life experience and how before I really wanted to look at myself, I was a young, budding activist, and I was very self-righteous, and I always had a cause, and 
when I look back at whether it was proclaiming that I was a feminist at age 10 or being a very strict vegetarian in college, all of those were good causes, yet because I hadn't examined my own personal issues, I was actually working them out through my activism. Um, I was working out some of the issues at home where I felt that things were unfair between my mother and my father. Instead of addressing that, I decided I was going to be a feminist and that Hmm. I was going to be angry about women's rights. And if you really asked me what it was about, I I probably couldn't have answered, but I was very indignant and self-righteous. And when I first became a vegetarian, I, I would have said to you that it was about the animals and about ethics, but really what it was about was about my need to be right and feel like I was doing something meaningful. And mm. and so my activism, because it was unexamined and because I wasn't doing my personal work, honestly, I probably scared away more people than I inspired. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it made me feel good to, to tell people they were wrong and that I was right, and I, I secretly loved it. Um, mm. There's a great scene I often tell about in, in the Simpsons cartoon where – Lisa decides she wants to go join the football team, and she she walks up to the coach, and she's ready for a fight to be told that she can't join because she's a girl, right? And she walks up and says, I want to join the football team. And the coach turns to her and says, great, there's two other girls on the team. We'd love more girls on the team. And she's disappointed. She goes, oh, I don't want to be on the team then. Um, (laughs) And, you know, really what she wanted was to be right and to fight with someone. And, And I always identify with that character that, Prior to doing my personal work, I was really just looking for ways where I could feel better than other people. Um, And then I spent years doing my personal work and really looking at my own insecurity and my own self-esteem and my own upbringing and my traumas and why I felt disempowered and why I felt that I needed to be right all the time in order to get love and approval. And as I worked through that, I was able then to come back and re-engage with the issues that mattered to me. Without that energy, I was able to talk about food choices and food justice and equality for women and equality for all people without needing to um, be, be yelling at other people or be oppressing other people, quite frankly. Mm. So, you know, our, our work in the world is so connected to our personal life experience and it's motivated by it. If we're unaware of the ways it's connected, then it can be like blinders. Um, as we become more aware of our own psychological material, our own personal material, they can inform our work in the world, but not affect it negatively. They're not working it out through other people. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think you've even uh, sort of touched on that with what I wanted to ask you about next. So yoga certainly can be a tool for self-healing and self-care and also can be a tool. Um, and I, I read your, um, I think it was your interview with uh, Sean Korn in Yoga Journal where you were talking about, you know, when you were first in yoga, first doing mm-hmm. yoga, it was almost like a tool for working on this image, you know, of mm-hmm. perfectionism, you know, within you. So can you talk about that a little about how yoga does have this potential for healing and self-care and yet, you know, kind of how it's used sometimes is just Mm -hmm. to have the best looking yoga outfit and be able to do the poses in the most, you know, perfect way and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just because we're doing yoga doesn't mean we're conscious. I wish it were that easy. And, you know, I always say to my students, we can bring all of our terrible habits to yoga and it's certainly an upgrade, right? Um, to, to be working it out through yoga. But, um, yeah, I know when I started yoga, I was still doing it from a place of perfectionism and wanting to do it right. And, and I wasn't actually connecting to my body, and I wasn't connecting to my emotions. I was just doing a very physical asana practice. 
And then outside of yoga, I was still, you know, um, overeating and in an unhealthy relationship, and I was very, um, I would beat up on myself a lot. And so, you know, for me, the connection came by adding therapy to the yoga practice and by doing my own personal work and then seeking out yoga teachers that were actually inviting me to be a whole person not yoga teachers that were punitive and perfectionistic and cared about where, you know, my big toe was in triangle pose. Um, so we can definitely use the yoga practice to further our perfectionism, our dissociation, our apathy, or our um, self-righteousness. You know, it's just like with any powerful tool. It can be used for good or for evil. <laughs> um, right. Right. And and so as I as I started to be aware of my personal process, I was able to utilize the yoga practice to support that and to support that personal work. Right, which is really getting into yoga for authenticity. And uh, one of the ways that you described yoga is a tool for self-regulation, self-investigation, and self-awareness. So that we can engage in the world in a truly authentic way. And I just really loved that. So how does our healing relate to our ability to be authentic? When we are disconnected from important parts of ourselves, and usually these are parts of ourselves that are in pain, you know, parts of ourselves that we, it was overwhelming to acknowledge. Those things in us get expressed in a sideways way. I remember being in a relationship years ago and um, having a lot of judgment for my partner. You know, he wasn't conscious and he ate meat and he drank wine. And, um, and I remember working with a, with a counselor on the issue and, and, and I was judging him for not doing yoga and I was judging him for all the ways that he judged people. And she said to me, she said, you know, your partner is just a manifestation of all the unconscious parts of yourself that you don't want to see. The reason you're drawn to him is you don't want to admit that you're judgmental. You don't want to admit that you have these impulses. So you've chosen to be with somebody who then you can judge for being all these things, and you don't have to look at yourself. And that was revolutionary for me. And she actually even said to me, maybe he doesn't need to do yoga. Maybe he's fine. You need to do a lot of yoga. (laughs) And it was it was so humbling because I was judgmental. I love to judge people who ate a certain way or didn't have a lifestyle I had. And 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 that that's not being yogic, right? That's not being compassionate. You know, I was one of those self righteous yoga people who ate vegetarian and did yoga every day and like and judged anyone who didn't do that. And, and so I look back and I go, well, the yoga wasn't working. Um, and I and I tell my students all the time, you know, your yoga's working when your relationships are getting better. When we're able to be compassionate, when we're not judging, when we look at someone who might be making poor choices and get curious and go, gosh, I wonder, I wonder what's motivating their poor choices, or maybe they don't have access to better choices. Maybe they eat McDonald's every day because that's what they can afford, and they don't know what's better, not because they're less enlightened than I am. So I had to strip away so much, and, um, and as I did that personal work, my, the way that I related to people changed and my yoga practice changed. My yoga practice, I allowed myself to practice with teachers that would make me confront myself more. Not just confront my physical practice, because that was my comfort zone, trying to master inversions and, and I was naturally flexible, so teachers were always drawn to me in terms of the physical practice. That was an easy place for me to challenge myself. The harder practice was feeling my rage, feeling my sadness and my grief, 
And I didn't let myself feel that stuff in my yoga practice until at least a decade into practicing yoga. And when I could confront those parts of myself and not make it about a physical pose, that's when my relationship started to change. Wow, it's really powerful. So uh, we've been talking uh, earlier, we were really talking about seva. So and we were talking about how we really need to, you know, do our own work, um, our own internal work and in work in the world, um, trying to heal the world really starts with healing in ourselves. But it's also there's a feedback loop there. So how does being engaged in seva help us to foster our own healing? That's a great question. You know, here's a really simple answer for this, really my entryway into this work. When I was, when I was 24, I got diagnosed with cervical dysplasia, which is stage three cancer on my cervix. And they wanted to operate, but I got permission to take a month to do my own investigation. And that's when I started to look at <clears throat> the relationship between my food and um, carcinogens in the food and our environment. Prior to that, I was eating sort of a typical 20-year-old diet. Everything was low-fat and diet foods, and I was working out in the gym. And through this process of wanting to heal my cancer, I started to look at what was the quality of my food. And suddenly, pesticides in my food were going to be affecting my health, and that had to do with farming practices and food justice. And all of a sudden, I, I had this experience, this knowledge that my personal well-being in terms of my physical well-being, was deeply connected to all these forces I was not in control of, how my food was being produced. And that, for me, was the doorway into, wow, my well-being is connected to the well-being of the planet, literally. And then as I started to do more of this work, I could see this socially in terms of um, economic injustice <clears throat> and um, social injustices that if the clothes that I'm wearing are made by people that are being oppressed and paid an unfair wage and are in in dangerous situations, I am benefiting from their oppression. That every aspect of my being is connected to the well-being or lack of well-being of someone else. Now, that's an overwhelming idea. And even as I say it, I can feel my heart start to race. (laughs) Especially as Americans, where so much of what we get is built on the shoulders of people that are not being taken care of. It can be overwhelming. Um, but we've got to do this work slowly and really look out and see the ways that we're connected. So that was really my entryway into it, um, that my well-being, I can't just control it for myself, that it's connected to the well-being of others. And when we wake up to that, there's, there's kind of no turning back. And then we've got to do something about it in our own way. Yes. So now there are millions of people around the world who are practicing yoga, which is probably more than there have ever been at any yeah. time in, in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so what role does uh, the yoga community have in promoting healing and, and furthermore about promoting service? Mm-hmm. You know, I think even that word yoga community can be confusing, right? Because even the yoga quote-unquote community is divided. We have the yoga community of the, the people that can purchase a yoga journal or yoga clothes or go to yoga conferences or even afford to go to yoga classes. I know in my neighborhood it costs $25 to take one yoga class. Wow. So there's a, com- there's a community of people that engage. I often call that the mainstream yoga community. And then there's communities of people doing yoga in prisons and in schools and in homeless shelters and in their living rooms and with their local church. So I think the yoga community is also divided, and it's a reflection of the larger socioeconomic divide that exists. 
That said, all these circles of folks doing yoga have an opportunity to contribute to the greater well-being. I also see that the mainstream yoga community that has access to the yoga press and to um, to, yeah, basically to the way that we market yoga, has a responsibility to start to redefine what yoga is. If you ask the average person who's never done yoga what yoga is, they will also tell you it's some putting your feet behind your head, right? They will <laughs> probably tell you something that came off of seeing a cover of yoga journal, something that's just visible, This is why, right off the mat, we've been doing a lot of work with Yoga Journal and even Lululemon and companies that are very visible to to say to them, you have a responsibility to tell a story of yoga that's not about a thin, white, able-bodied woman doing a beautiful pose. Mm -hmm. We need to tell some new stories so that the the poor person, um, the poor person of color, might think, oh, yoga maybe is for me because I saw this image. Um, Or a person with a disability will think yoga is for them. So there's a responsibility for the mainstream yoga teachers and the yoga press to tell stories about yoga that are inclusive. And by doing that, we start to include communities that historically have been excluded from all the good stuff into the yoga world. And then for folks that are doing this in those communities, just keep doing that good work, basically. So um, I know that part of what is offered at Off the Mat into the world is leadership training. So what does it mean to be a conscious leader of change? The way that we define a conscious leader of change is that you have a certain amount of internal awareness so that your process is not getting in the way of your engagement, but it's informing it. We have a certain amount of external awareness of socioeconomic dynamics that might be influencing groups of people, and we also have a commitment to collaboration and uplifting other people. Those are the three ingredients, personal awareness, socioeconomic awareness, and getting our ego out of the way, collaborating, uplifting others, so that when we are leading, one of our our former ED, Carrie Kelly, used to say this, we were leading from behind. We actually want to see other people shine. So we don't go into a community and say, hey, I have this amazing idea. We're going to do this, and it's all about me, 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 and my great idea. That's sort of the shadow side of the activist is wanting to be seen for all the good work you're doing. Mm-hmm. Instead, we go into community and we listen for a long time. We get to know people. This is if it's not our community that we're engaging with. We ask them what they need. We look for the leaders in that community that we might support. Sometimes our best service is just supporting somebody else. No one will ever know we did anything. And we need to be comfortable with that. We need to be comfortable with that if our work is a success, we're not needed anymore. And so we have to get our validation internally and through our relationships and our friendships. So a conscious leader is doing their personal work, but they don't stop there. They're understanding social dynamics, and they're also committed to collaboration and uplifting others. Right, which is really, we were referring to really the non-attachment. That's one of the, you know, one of the core yoga principles, you know, the dispassionate non-attachment to results, trying our best, really going out in the world, you know, but really letting the results be what they are, letting the credit fall, kind of, you know, where it, where it falls. Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. 
And with that, it's time to move to our next break. You're listening to The Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for regular host, Yogacharya O'Brien. My guest today is Hala Khoury, yoga teacher, somatic counselor, and one of the founders of Off the Mat, Into the World. You can learn more about Hala and her teaching schedule at the website halakhoury.com, which is H-A-L-A-K-H-O-U-R-I. We welcome your questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. Please stay with us. We'll be right back to explore yoga and resilience. Hello, listeners. Did you know we've gone mobile? That's right. Your favorite Unity online radio programs are available on your mobile device. Now you can take us with you wherever you go. Using apps from Live 365 or Stitcher, you can listen to Unity Online Radio live or on demand. To learn more, visit www.unity.fm and click on Mobile Listening. What if you were intentional? about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant. Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit, Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. If I were brave, I'd walk the razor's edge Where fools and dreamers dare to tread And never lose faith How is life working for you? Would it be okay with you if life got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful and vibrant? Join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for Vibrant Living. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests We'll share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant. Is there something in your life you'd like help with? A dream you'd like to achieve? A relationship you'd like to improve? Call into the show toll-free for Coaching with Carla. That's Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla. Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if we're all meant to do what we secretly dream? You're listening to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. If you have a question, please submit it via email at theyogahour at unityonlineradio.org, and we will respond now, back to the Yoga Hour. 
Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for the Yoga Hour's regular host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. My guest today is Hala Kuri, yoga teacher, yoga teacher trainer, somatic counselor, and recent nominee by the Yoga Journal for a Good Karma Award earlier this year. So let's go back, Hala, to what we were talking about um, earlier, um, and really this tie-in between um, trauma, understanding our own trauma, and also what impact that has or uh, what what um, illumination that brings to social justice work. Why, why is understanding that relationship so important? Hmm. Now, our traumas shape us. I often think of the metaphor of the diamond that is shaped from a piece of coal that's banged around and turns into a shiny diamond. And we're shaped by our trials and our tribulations. And some of us have bigger traumas than others. I don't mean to lump all trauma into one box, yet we're all shaped by our life challenges. And understanding our history and the things that have shaped us is a really important part of knowing ourselves. But understanding the dynamics of how trauma affects us can also help us understand social dynamics. For example, if I have a history of abuse, I might find that I grew up to be an adult that's very soft-spoken and doesn't feel that she has a voice because my life experience taught me that my voice doesn't matter. Um, If an entire community has been oppressed and abused and unheard, that community might feel silenced. And then when that community starts to tap into its power, it might show up as rage at first. And from a trauma perspective, that's appropriate. We've got to express our rage before we get to the other side where there's a balance. So we can look at communities that have experienced trauma, and I think about it, I see it in my, in my homeland in the Middle East where there's communities that have historically been oppressed, and then they become the oppressors. Um, and it's just a cycle of violence that continues to go with these, with these communities. We see the cycle of violence in individuals. For me, a trauma-informed lens allows me to have compassion when I see behaviors that might be uncomfortable. I work with a lot of teachers that work at schools with high-risk kids, and and in these schools, we're typically seeing a lot of violence, a lot of acting out, but also a lot of kids that are shut down and apathetic. Often, these kids are labeled as troublemakers. They're just problem children. When we understand that if they're not getting enough food to eat or if they've experienced violence, if they've had a lot of trauma their behavior is simply an expression of that trauma. They're shut down, and when they look bored, they're just dissociated and overwhelmed. Their anger, their inability to trust adults might be rooted in all the adults that have caused them pain in their life. Mm -hmm. A trauma lens can help us see that people's behaviors have a reason. They're not just acting out for no reason. Similarly, when we're doing justice work, when we might see communities that have had a lot of pain and they're acting out, we can find compassion and go, well, of course they're acting out. What can we do to support these communities so they don't have to act out anymore? The two really go hand in hand for me. And, of course, because of my life experience coming from the Middle East, I saw it. I see a community that has had decades and decades, generations of trauma. And so we see alcoholism, we see chain smoking, we see behaviors in those communities that are rooted in that. And until we address the root of the behaviors, we're simply going to be offering Band-Aids. We're simply going to be addressing the the behaviors that we see, but we have to understand the root cause if things are ever going to change. I often talk about this with 
domestic violence, right? So many of us can find compassion for survivors of domestic violence, and we want to create shelters for them and create, and create programs for them, of course. But until we can also ask, why is the perpetrator being violent? What is their trauma that is causing them to be violent? Until we can have compassion for the perpetrator, things won't change. And to me, that's the hardest work in social justice. Until we can hold the oppressor and the oppressed in our hearts, we're not going to be able to make change. Again, I think that's just a really, really powerful idea and really relating back to that root that we really all, you know, are one. So earlier in the program when you were talking about social justice work, you talked about the potential for burnout, which is certainly an issue that can affect anyone, everyone. Mm-hmm. So Yogacharya O'Brien, uh, the founder of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment and of this program, writes, the feeling of being overwhelmed, experiencing life as a burden with too much to do, is often not caused by work. At the root of this difficulty is a break from living in harmony with our deepest values. When we live in accordance with our soul's wisdom, we are inwardly sustained. So, and I even think that you mentioned that a little bit earlier as that yoga has many tools such as asana and meditation that can really help us keep our connection with our own soul's wisdom. So what do you see as the importance of having a yoga practice um, in terms of avoiding burnout? I think that's a very wise quote. I work with a lot of social workers and direct service providers that are every day dealing with trauma. They're dealing with families in pain and children being taken out of the home and addiction and um, they're getting burned out. And I always tell them, you know, what the, what the stress research is showing is that the difference between somebody who's stressed and someone who's not stressed is not the amount of stress in their life. It's how they handle it. And that feels connected to Yogacharya's quote there that it's not necessarily about changing how much work you have or um, your to-do list, but looking at how are you contributing to your stress level through your own unconscious beliefs, your own misalignment. A lot of the people drawn to do this service work of being social workers or child welfare workers grew up in environments where they had to take care of their family, grew up in difficult environments, and they were the caretakers. So they have an incredible skill there. And then they translate it into their work, right? They take that skill of, I've got to take care of everyone, and they become amazing social workers, for example. But -hmm. until they look at and are able to connect with their own vulnerability, their own fear, all the things that they weren't able to express in their family of origin because they were the caretakers, they're not going to be able to be sustainable because they're going to be committed to this story that no one's okay and they have to take care of everyone because that's their original story. So doing the deep work at looking at our own limiting beliefs around self-care, for a lot of people, self-care and their family of origin would mean that they were unsafe. If they were, say, in an abusive family, they had to always be attuned to everybody around them in order to make sure they were safe. To actually withdraw or go inside or attune to themselves might have caused them harm. So there's this work of uncoupling that self-care actually could cause us danger or harm. And that's often an unconscious belief for people that are burning out. I can't stop. Who else is going to do this work? And this is also where community comes in. So the deep work can help us uncover those beliefs so that then we can go back into our work in the world and address it from a different place. And, and, and I think that is a more harmonious place. Right, and this idea then of resiliency 
you know, which is such a wonderful word, this resiliency, which I think yoga is one of the things that really helps to build resiliency. Absolutely. And, you know, resiliency is one of my favorite terms. And what it means is resilience is our ability to know that we're going to be okay even if things don't go well. Resilience is our ability to thrive even when circumstances aren't ideal. And, you know, I, I know when I first started to, to practice yoga, it wasn't about resiliency. It was about perfectionism. I had this thing. I, right. I ate a perfect diet and thought the perfect thoughts and did the perfect yoga poses. Then I wouldn't have to experience pain. I was actually using the yoga to try to avoid discomfort. And what I have found over my decades of work and experience is that yoga is about being able to be with discomfort and know that we'll be okay. And that when we're not resisting that discomfort, there's often something on the other side of that. So if I sit in a hip opener and I'm just, oh, I can't believe it, my hips are tight and I'm holding my breath and I'm mad at myself, I'm actually holding on to the discomfort. Mm-hmm. But if I sit in that hip opener, so to speak, and I breathe and I let myself feel the discomfort, often it releases. Whether it's your hips or your partner or your work or something happening in the world, yoga asks us to sit with it, with groundedness and with breath, so that whatever needs to be done can be revealed, if anything. Mm-hmm. And that's what resilience is. Resilience says, okay, I can be uncomfortable. and I don't have to run away. And when we can sit with discomfort, we can also then make more room for joy because when we avoid discomfort, we enjoy we avoid all the good stuff as well. That is really so beautiful, you know, that when we're really open, that we can experience all of the range, you know, of things. Mm-hmm. And with that, unbelievably, we've already come to the uh, close of the program. I want to thank you again, Hala, so much for being with us. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien. We've been discussing Karma Yoga, Serving the One in All, with special guest Hala Khoury, yoga teacher and one of the founders of Off the Mat, Into the World. You can learn more about Hala and her teaching schedule at the website halakhoury.com. That's H-A-L-A-K-H-O-U-R-I dot com. For the program next week, please join us for the Yoga of Sacred Conversation when my guest will be Cecily Andrews, author of several books, including Living Room Revolution. Cecily is a community educator with a passion for leading small groups to help change society. When we join together in sacred conversation, transformation becomes possible for individual lives, for our community, and for the world. Tune in next week to hear all about it. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Uh, CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. Please check out the website, csecenter.org, for more information, including information about online classes. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast at iTunes. I look forward to being with you again when Yogacharya O'Brien is away. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all that you meet. Thanks again, Hala, and thank you, Jeff, in the sound room. 
Thank you for tuning in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization, www.csecenter.org. Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org. At Metaphysical Romp 2, we demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, how can I use this for good? We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, Rev. Bill Holton, and Rev. Cher Holton. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio. Inspiration only takes a moment. Reverend Dr. Thomas Shepard shares this from his book, Good Questions. We are here to learn, grow, experience, savor, exalt, cherish, create, and to use our connection with that mind to make safe decisions. We are here to share to be fruitful and to multiply the good over and over again. Centering on the divine within, we become still and realize that whatever happens, we are still one with God. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. At Metaphysical Romp 2, we demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me? A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, how can I use this for good? We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, Rev. Bill Holton, and Rev. Cher Holton. Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio.
Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. 